You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. It's good to be back with you. We've been traveling this week, and it feels like a month ago, last Sunday, but we're here, and you've been traveling. God is good, and uh, I'm just blessed even as Milt shares about the Word of God that we believe this is the inspired Word. Thank you for sharing that. We have leadership in this church that believes in, in us here that this is the Word of God before us. This is a blessing for us here, and I'm, I'm thankful for it. Um, I want you to turn in the Word of God to Mark chapter uh, 16. Here we are. You maybe thought we'd never get there, but we're here. We're near the end of the book of Mark, sadly. Uh, but here we are. You're welcome to read it again. Uh, as you're going to Mark 16, let's show our picture. I think I have it in there from last week. This is from uh, Kate Graff, and that's a granddaughter of Mark and Julie Bird. I think I've got that right. And uh, she gave me these, so I appreciate her doing that. She was visiting us last weekend. I, I think this is the women, perhaps, that we were looking at. Joseph of Arimathea that took the body down and wrapped Jesus, put him in the tomb. I believe on the left side, the women there, uh, perhaps. Maybe that's Joseph. I didn't ask her. It's not labeled. But then certainly you have the, the tomb and them rolling the stone back over the tomb. And we looked at that. And that's really where we left Jesus last week in the tomb, wrapped up. And we left these three women who we're going to read about again today, looking on and seeing where Jesus was laid. And then we get to our section in chapter 16. So appreciate that. Appreciate all you kids uh, turning in things. Let's look at God's Word again. Mark 16, verses uh, 1 through 8. And I'll just have the lights up. Thank you. Just for me. <laughs> George. No, we can, I can still see there. So but let's read the Word of God. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. Very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Let me pray again. Lord, again, we just ask your guiding hand on the word before us. Lord, the words that I'm about to speak have prepared, Lord. May they encourage each one of us, Lord, towards the truth of this passage, towards the truth of who you are. Lord, where there's an area that we need to 
to act differently. We need to actually do something differently than we've done. Lord, convict us. Where we need to believe something, Lord, that we've not believed, that we've been doubting on. Lord, I pray you'd provide that belief. Where there's an area where we just need to see your glory fresh, I pray you would show us that. So we're asking for your help, your enabling spirit again, to reveal your word to us in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. I have by no means surveyed all people, but I'm going to take a guess, and I think it's right, that each one of us has certain fears that we live with, every one of us. Perhaps it's fear of speaking in public, or there's a fear of heights, that's one of mine, uh, in the right place. Uh, Some have a fear of spiders, not looking at anyone in particular, but some have that fear. Some have a fear of snakes. Maybe you're like me in that. Uh, we were in thanks, having Thanksgiving in Kansas. You know, it's a hotbed of evil, bad snakes down there. They're about this long and, you know, about that wide. And I came across one in the yard. It was probably dead even. I just, ah, they just, they scare me and I, I hate them. Um, but that's me. That's a fear. But th- there's, that's kind of, we know that's fear. It's kind of funny. There, there's a whole nother level, though, of fear in some of us and probably perhaps all of us. Some have a fear of dying or fear of losing someone close to you. Maybe there's a fear of health. You wake up just scared of this, afraid. Or there's a fear of, will I stay true to the Lord? Will I follow Him? And so on and so on. To me, every one of these fears, is it's not necessarily based in reality, but in expectations. Let me try to explain that with my little snake illustration. That snake did not harm me. It didn't actually happen. It just laid there. But my fear was the thing would right itself and just dig in. I don't know what my fear, something like that. I'd die because of it. It's going to wrap around here or what but that's the fear but it, it's not reality it's not really what's going to happen but there's a there's a fear of this kind of this unknown a much greater extent perhaps the fear of a loss of someone close to you in our world that's a very real uh, expectation I'm not saying that's not real we just we don't know when we might fear we're going to lose them tomorrow or today but we don't know that we might have them for 20 more years or insert your fear and Maybe fear of speaking in public or how are they going to react or all these different things that may or may not come true. There's fear. Well, what we've read today in Mark, we are back with these three women again. And you may have already picked up on this as we read through this passage, but there is fear surrounding this visit to the tomb of Jesus. There's fear when they enter. There's fear when they leave. So we're going to examine their story and hopefully be led again by God's grace to the certainty of Jesus Christ. So let's look at our passage again. We're just heading into verse 1 that says, When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And we might ask here, why are these women coming again on the first day of the week to anoint Jesus I said last week in John's Gospel, we see an account. There's Joseph of Arimathea, and then there's Nicodemus who, who brought with him 75 
pounds of myrrh and uh, aloe, and they wrapped Jesus in these linen cloths uh, on the Friday of his death. And we might think, isn't that enough what they did on Friday? Why are these women coming again to anoint Jesus again? And we don't know the answer for sure. It just seems to me, and from what I've read somewhat, that these women came to finish what was perhaps a rushed procedure. They got Jesus down, they wrapped him, perhaps they put what they could on him, but at sundown they needed to be not working. The Sabbath was coming. And so here, perhaps they're coming back, these women, to finish the task that was there. Uh, One commentary says, Spices may not have been used for everyone, but were often used for the bodies of special persons. And they give an example of Herod here. Whatever the case, these women, we see them, they have followed Jesus, they've ministered to Jesus out of their own means, and now they buy, tells, tells us they bought spices, they buy their own spices, and they go to honor him. The expectation is he will be there to put the spices on, otherwise they wouldn't have bought the spices. And so they get up very early. Verse 2 says, on the first day of the week, when the sun had already risen and they head to the tomb i think physically yes the sun had risen in the sky and really ever since this first day is associated with the sun s-o-n rising here in this section it's the literal fulfillment of the light of the lord rising in the midst of darkness remember we talked about the darkness of the day the darkness of the world here This light is rising because Jesus has risen. Paul talks about this. He says uh, before King Agrippa in Acts 26, he says these words. This is Paul. I stand here testifying both to small and great, saying nothing but what the prophets and Moses said would come to pass, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. Light is going out. We meet on Sunday here because of the events of this day that we've, we've read about here. We proclaim light in the midst of darkness around us because of this day that we're reading about. Just to apply this a little further, there is greater news on a Sunday than whether the Vikings or the Packers will win. Some of us, many of us, look at this day as a day of rest, and that is good to do. But we also, we often forget this is a day that we celebrate this first day. This is a day that Jesus has risen. The sun has risen again. Though it's cloudy, the end of November in Minnesota, He has risen. The sun is alive. And we want to look at this day as a special day, not just, oh, it's Sunday, it's the end of a weekend, bummer, got to go back to work Monday or go back to school. This is Sunday, the day Jesus has risen. And it's a resurrection that changes everything. Well, verse 3 lets us in on a little conversation as these women are on their way. We're not privy to their whole conversation perhaps there was more but they had at least these words and they're discussing in verse 3 how they're going to roll the stone away remember in in chapter 15 at, at the end verse 47 
you see them there. They saw where he was laid, so they're coming back. They know this. They've seen this stone go over the entrance, and they're heading back to there. And I think we find these women realize their own weakness to roll a very large stone away. And so the question is, who is going to help these women at this early hour of the day? And so their question assumes, I think, who's going to... It assumes a quietness to this morning. If you can picture, and again, we're not watching a movie or anything on this, just to, it's good for our senses just to picture this quietness of this tomb and this place. I mean, had we been there, we know the rest of the story. I'm thinking, knowing the end, we would have camped out overnight with the tent or sleeping bag and said, I'm waiting because I know the stone's going to be moving. At some point, we're going to all wait. It doesn't sound like there's a crowd waiting for this to happen. Sounds quiet. They're, these women are even wondering who's going to roll this stone away. One uh, commentator, James Edwards, says this The anxiety of the women about this significant detail, this, this rolling stone, is due in part to the fact that all the men were hiding. The women were evidently left to chance at finding workers in the area to help them roll the stone away from the opening of the tomb. Their problem was solved in a manner they had never considered. For when they arrived, the stone was already rolled away. Look at verse 4. And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. Just to make sure, Mark says, it was very large. Again, here's these women. We've seen, seen this through Mark. They're looking. I don't think it's insignificant. These verbs of looking and seeing come up again. And they look and see first that the large stone is rolled away. Matthew 28, 2, a similar account, tells us just how this stone was rolled away. It says, Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Mark doesn't have him sitting. He has this guy in the tomb. But it was rolled away by God. God has done an impossible miracle in rolling of a very large stone. For what purpose? We might ask here, why is this rolled back? It's so that these women could enter the tomb and see what? See that death no longer held Jesus down, but he was not here. I believe in way of application, God moves stones for his people to see. He makes the blind see. He moves stones that say death is the final end of things and moves stones to see God. He removes barriers that stand between us and Him in Christ through His Spirit. The heart of stone turns into a heart of flesh by His Spirit that we might see Him and we might have newness of life. So these women arrive and they look inside. Verse 5, entering the tomb they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. They were afraid. We ask here, what do you think these women were planning to find? What was their expectation of going into this place? I think their expectation was to find the body of their master or uh, their son, in the case of Mary, who I think is Jesus' 
mother, they were expecting to find Jesus. Again, as I said, otherwise they wouldn't have bought the spices. They saw the body go in on Friday. That's what they planned to see. But their expectations turned to fear when they saw this young man clothed in white, really an angel. And they were afraid, alarmed, as the ESV says. Expecting to find Jesus, these women find fear. And yet the young man speaks to them. And how often in Scripture do these words come from an angel when there's fear? Look at verse 6. He said to them, do not be alarmed. Insert the word fear. Do not be afraid. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Again, it seems in Scripture when the Lord sends a message via angels, there's usually a sense of fear. We're going to see that at Christmas. If you read the Christmas story and the the shepherds in the fields and there's fear. There's fear of this one with a white robe before them. I don't think they saw this coming. Uh, Think of places, dark places where you walk. Uh, Carol on occasion has been known to scare me as I'm walking through the church during the week. And you just don't know it, and suddenly there's Carol, and I'm fearful. And it's our expectation that things are just, it's dark. Nobody's here. And here they're just, their expectation has changed on them. But you hear these words, do not be afraid. And the angel knows why they are here. They're seeking Jesus, the crucified one. It's that Jesus. Perhaps there were others named Jesus. No, it's the one of Nazareth. It's the one they crucified. That's that's the one. It's the one they sought. But they failed to remember Jesus' words. He's predicted all these things. He predicted his suffering and his death and his being raised on the third day. And the angel then speaks the truth of what's happened where he says, He has risen. He has risen. And it is those words that change everything. That make our faith in Jesus not a futile faith in a dead Savior, but a strong faith in a living one. Words that give us in Christ hope that as Christ lives, so then will we. Words that the King and Ruler who came to serve and give His life as a ransom for many has fully paid the penalty of sin and He lives again to intercede for us as our great high priest. Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, 20-22, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. I want you to turn to the book of Romans chapter 6 as we just think about this quite briefly, but Romans 6 will help us think about the impact of the resurrection for the life of the believer. It's Romans 6. I'll read verses 1 through 11. And they talk about this hope of being in Christ and the resurrection. Romans 6, 1 through 11 says this. Paul says, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? 
By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And here we go now, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, <clears throat> excuse me, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Certainly. Verse 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. Not over and over again, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has in fact risen from the dead, so too we who have died in Christ now live again in Christ. Our resurrection from the dead, it's directly linked to and stems from the resurrection, what we're reading here in Mark, of Jesus Christ. Well, back in Mark, there's one more thing, one more detail that this angel speaks to these women. He has risen. He's not here. He'll explain in a bit where he's gone, where he's going to meet them. But he also says these words to these women, see the place where they laid him. The angel simply points to the empty place, I think just to prove to them. I mean, look at this. He's not here. Remember, these, these women, they have seen where they laid Jesus. And yes, in fact, they're looking. He is not where we saw them lay him. He's gone. And then in verse 7, <clears throat> the angel gives direction for these women. So they've seen Jesus. He's risen. He's not here. Look, it's proved to you. Now what? And he says, but go. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. In fact, Jesus had told them this. It's in Mark. You can write down the reference, 1428. He said, but after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. So the messenger, he's told these women, first, don't be afraid. Don't be alarmed. Secondly, the crucified one, that one, he's risen. Third, for proof, look where he was. He's not there anymore. And fourth, what's next? Go and tell. Go and tell. The women now are to do this, to go, to speak this news to the disciples. The SV Study Bible says this. <clears throat> Mark's report that women were the first witnesses to Christ's resurrection was courageous. Since the testimony of women as witnesses was not always given credence in the first century context, especially in a court of law. Hear what that's saying? There's a risk of saying, 
Well, the women spoke. There wasn't this degree of accuracy looked at of their testimony at this time in these Jewish circles. And so Mark states this and gives us this information. We see God using women to tell the news to these disciples. And they're to go to them. Go to the disciples. And specifically, if you look uh, there, it's tell his disciples and Peter. It's pretty fitting here that the one who had denied the Lord not once but three times is listed specifically by this angel for the women to speak to. Yes, tell all the disciples, tell them, but specifically make sure Peter. Who knows where he was at? Perhaps he was waiting with them. I'm not sure. But tell Peter, the master goes before you to Galilee. Restoration is taking place for a wayward disciple. Why Galilee? Why had there, again, the ESV study Bible. Galilee, again, served as a place of preparation. I found this interesting here. Jesus thus avoided <clears throat> the possibility that the, that the disciples might hold false expectations of a political messianic kingdom in Jerusalem. Rather than the disciples seeing Jesus necessarily here, meeting them in Galilee, saying, okay, this is not, we're not back in political kingdom type language here. There's a greater kingdom. Well, at this point, it seems like the angel has calmed their fears. We know what's going on. We see what's going on. There's great news of the resurrection. He's no longer dead. He's, he's going to send them out, right? End of fear. Boldly they go. They take the, the selfie at the tomb, right? And for those on, is it Twitter? Hashtag empty tomb. And they're all happy and excited. We, we don't see that, do we? Look at verse 8. They went out and fled from the tomb. For trembling and astonishment had seized them, and they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Next week, we're going to look. We will, this isn't the the last sermon in Mark. We're going to look at one more section here, and it's these last verses of 9 through 20. Many of you are going to find notes in your Bible that, say these, these, these last verses are not found in some of the earliest manuscripts. And so, Lord willing, next week we're going to look at what's that note about? Why is this here? And what do we do with this part of Mark? And rather than just saying, well, don't read that part, just look over it or read your notes, we're going we're to explore that as we explore this gift of Scripture that God has given us. But let me just say here that I believe the book of Mark does end right here at verse 8. I mean, we see it in the print there, uh, but again, some of the earliest ones, we'll explain that next week more. But it ends here in such an odd way that I think leads and leads to the way that, that maybe we're, we're trying to end it in different ways here, maybe more on a positive note. Uh, the women, we don't see them, at least here, going forth in courage, uh, at least how Mark has it. Though we read other accounts, and they do see Jesus upon fleeing the tomb, they do see him. But we see them here in Mark. They flee the tomb. There's trauma. There's astonishment or bewilderment that seizes them. They don't say anything. And why? And it tells us right at the end, for they were afraid because they were fearful. 
And we might ask, why end this way? And again, there's much debate as to how Mark ends this. And I think it ends this way on kind of a down note uh, rather than an ending with more hope. But I think there's, there's a reality here in Mark's account. It's the ever-present reality of the road of discipleship and following Jesus. Until glory, until we are with the Lord forever, this battle looms in the disciple of fear in the flesh and peace in the Savior. Mark here leaves us not with the impression, if we end at verse 8, we don't have the impression that disciples and followers of Christ are superheroes, but rather there is one hero, Jesus. Those who follow Him at times will follow Him distantly, perhaps denying Him like Peter, perhaps in fear like these women, or trembling, or even in disobedience. And again, not that Mark would endorse that as a, as a hallmark of a disciple to be disobedient, to, but to say this is the reality of disciples of Christ at times. The reality here is of disciples who often get it wrong, and yet a Savior and a King who always gets it right, who will get it right, and He lives for an eternity that we might live through and in Him. A couple thoughts as we conclude this section and some application. Number one, a question for you. Are you seeking this Jesus of Nazareth, the crucified one? Are you seeking this one? Like these women, we know they're afraid, they're fleeing, but are you seeking him? Matthew 7, 7 through 8 says this, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Do you see your sin and your need for forgiveness and healing? You're wandering from the Lord in sin. Seek Him and come back to the Savior, the risen Savior. We find salvation in no one else than Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to call out to Him and receive assurance of your salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Number two, hold loosely to your own expectations and wait on what God has. Hold loosely to our expectations. These women expected to find the body. They were expecting to anoint a dead Jesus, but all that changed and they were afraid. And yet the call to those who fear the unknown, who may fear expectations that aren't met, who fear a variety of things, we can hold fast to the words of Isaiah 43. Would you turn there with me? Some precious verses. And we'll come back. But Isaiah 43, if you can look at it quickly. Isaiah 43, I want to... Read these, but I want you to see them in your own scriptures. Isaiah 43, I'll just read one through a little bit of verse 3 here. Think about this in light of fear and expectations that go wrong and whatever things we're fearing. And yet as children of God, through the risen Savior, 
what he says to his children. It says, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Wait on what God has. Wait on Him. Look to the one who says, fear not. And then lastly, number three, the truth of this chapter 16 is that Jesus is not dead, but He lives and He has surely risen from the dead. So, we bank not on the certainty of His disciples, but on the certainty of Jesus. God has given us leaders in this church, in His church, great men and women through history, men and women of faith, men and women we listen to in our day and age. And yet there is one certain Savior, and that is Jesus. Do not fear even the certainty of your own following, but rest in the one who said he would suffer, and he did. The one who said he would be killed, and he was. And the one who said he will rise again, and he did. Our certainty of forgiveness, our relationship with God, our eternal life, our peace with God, our hope that God is with us is in the certain one, Jesus Christ. May we rest in Him and then proclaim this news to a world in darkness. Pray with me, please. Father, what a gift that we have in the certain one of the resurrection that has risen, never to die again, always to intercede, to save to the uttermost, to bring us near into the blessed presence of God where there is joy forever. You are wonderful and worthy of our praise. You're worthy of our walking in your ways, fearing you and loving you keeping your commands and living as children of God. Lord, help us when we face our own fears. I pray that we would lean and rest on the risen one, that you are Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, encourage us in our walk where there are unexpected fears going on. And Lord, I pray as we go out to a world in darkness, that we would share the light of a risen and certain Savior when everything else crumbles around. Thank you, Lord. We can ask you for these things, and you hear us. In Jesus' name, amen.